Hey everybody, welcome to The Afterword, I'm Dave Tish. Um, before we get started, I just wanted to say a few things. We've got a great a great afterword here. We, we had a one-off, a one-week sermon series called Eat This Book, which is uh, basically a message about the importance and primacy of Scripture, not just in the life of um, the church that we're all a part of here at Westgate Church, but also the life of the believer individually, corporately and individually, that the, the Bible's... Um, primary role, the role that it occupies. And uh, I've got two guests here that I'm really excited about. I've got Jay Kim. He's going to talk a little bit about why this even matters, why he why he wanted to have this message, why he wanted to have this kind of one week. And I've also got my buddy Stan Markowski, who is a, a pastor up in Seattle, great church up there. He's in charge of discipleship and, and life groups. And he was also in my seminary cohort and one of the biggest Bible nerds and one of the most passionate people I've ever met about the Bible and its transformative power. So I'm going to talk to him a little bit about how he's seen the Bible transform his community, some advice he has, um, and how the Bible's transformed him, uh, his his own life. Um, So we're going to talk about that. I'm very excited about that. But I'm also a little worried because um, just in reflecting and thinking about this, uh, I'm a little afraid of, of being glib about the Bible, it just treating it like any other topic. It's, it's tough to understate the role that the Bible has played in transforming me. I think one of the reasons I'm a, a, a pastor or a teacher is because I, I believe primarily that the Bible, when taught well, like legitimately transforms and changes human hearts because that's what happened to me. Uh, I've I've had the incredible privilege or honor, I guess, to sit under men and women who are really, really gifted at explaining the story of the Bible, not just uh, how it works functionally or literarily, grammatically, or even theologically, but just what it does personally and how it, how it changes the way that we live and think about reality, um, all the ways that it comforts, heals, um, convicts, changes it's it's God's word, the very word of God. It's one of his best gifts to us. And it kind of holds things together. Um, it's uh, God's word is not just words on a page. Like if you and I wrote words on a page, God's word is actually an, a, an act because that's how powerful God's words are. They're not like our words. They're actually action action on a page because God's that powerful. That's who, when God speaks, it's, it's action. It's a, it's a, it's an act in this world that changes things. So I'm trying not to be glib about it, um, or understate its importance. Um, but also soberly reflect what a gift it is that God has given us this library of books that reveal so much um, as we talked this past week, God's word is is bread. It feeds and nourishes our souls, our 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 self. It's a lamp. It guides us, both individually and collectively, away from destruction and toward life. Um, our 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 paths individually and collectively. God guides us. It's a sword. It allows us um, insight into the spiritual realm and the battles that we're facing, and then gives us. The, 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 the offensive weapon to win battles against the enemy that lies to us. Um, and that's important. And it's also a scalpel. God does his surgery um, to remove cancer in us, the cancer of sin and self-absorption and wrong thinking and hopelessness and despair. God's word does some surgery on us and it heals us, rescues us from, from that. So, uh, we're going to be talking about that, uh, but I, I just wanted to just pause and, and think, uh, just be sober and be reminded of how important God's Word is. Um, yeah. Anyway, with that, let's just dive right in and uh, let's talk about the Bible. First of all, welcome. Hi. How are you doing? I'm 
good. How are you? Uh, I'm doing really well. Yeah. Are you? Really well. You're doing not just well. No, I mean, I don't know. Really well. I'm right here with you. It's exciting. That's true. Uh, are you excited about the potential for the Niners to go to the actual Super Bowl? By the time yeah, that people exciting. listen to this, it will be decided. Right. Uh, they could wow. go to the Super Bowl. It's a, They have a good chance. Yeah. Eagles. Eagles Niners. As we're recording this, we don't know the outcome. We do not. As you're listening, you do know the you outcome. You will. So that'll By the be time strange. you listen, you'll probably know Either the you're like celebrating Do you think or... people won't come to church uh, on the second service because of the no- uh, noon game on Sunday? I think a lot of people probably won't. You think the the first service will just be really packed, really packed. Uh, 1045. Yep. Or it'll be people come to 1045 and they leave kind of mid-sermon. In the la- last two-thirds <laughs> of the sermon to get to kick off. All Who right. knows? Who knows? I'm excited for that. Yeah. Have you ever left church early because of a, a sporting event? Oh, god. I think, I think I have. I don't. I can't remember doing that, but hmm. maybe. Have no, you ever watched? Oh, you know what? You know what? I have a distinct memory, though. What? My mom and I got in a fight. Oh, no. One morning. I grew up, you know, going to church, and my mom, just very devout, passionate yeah. follower yeah. of Jesus. Do you remember when Michael Jordan... He, he retired and went to baseball, and then he announced he was coming back. Mm-hmm. Okay, his comeback game yes. was on a Sunday. It yes. was one of those NBA on NBC Sunday games. It was against the Indiana Pacers, Ooh. and it was on a Sunday, and the game, I believe, was a Sunday, like at least here on the West Coast, it was like a Sunday morning or noon oh, yeah. game. And I remember I was watching it. I think we had gone to church in the morning, maybe come back, and then we had to go back for something. And I was like, no, I'm not going. I, I, I'm a kid at this point, you know? I'm like, no, I'm not going. I'm staying home. I got to watch this. And I remember my mom and I got in a big fight about it because I didn't want to. This is like before DVR. Of course. YouTube you TV. could just record it and watch it miss. later. Of course. He ended up scoring 19 points in that game. I still remember that. Wow. Which is great for not having played basketball for two years, but I remember as a kid being disappointed because I was used to Michael Jordan scoring 30 points a night. And I, uh, so that's re- my memory That was of 95. Sports, that's 95. Sports usurping, you know, that, faith. That was like Mar- <laughs> That was like 1995. Yeah. So I was, uh, I was uh, yeah. high school. I was yeah. a sophomore. Yeah. Yeah, man. That's pretty exciting. Okay, so getting into Sorry, this. Sorry, everybody. No. That was a long three-minute no, unnecessary. Uh, no. I have this distinct memory of being a radio DJ during wow. that time. Wow. Uh, I was a freshman in college. and That's like your college Yeah, radio college station? radio station, yeah, WGRE cool. 91.5, yeah. your sound alternative. <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> and uh, there was like uh, sports updates. And I yes. remember David Letterman, who yeah. had a show. Yes. He had the top 10 lists. Oh, yeah. He he had a top 10 list uh, about Michael Jordan that totally made fun of how out of shape he was. Interesting. And it was like really. <laughs> After he had played his comeback game? Yeah. Oh. And it was during that time. and Because remember, in 1995 in the playoffs, they met the Orlando Magic. And they lost. And and Michael got pickpocketed. By Nick Anderson. By Nick Anderson. Yeah. In, a, in a kind of a junior high level mistake. I mean, right. ju- it, he just didn't pay attention to who was coming up behind him. Uh, and so people made fun of it. And then that offseason, of course, Jordan transformed into Jordan 3.0. 72 and 10. Yeah, and, yeah. and they, 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 they unleashed a wrecking ball upon the rest of the league. Yes. Very interesting. Nothing to do with our topic. <laughs> <laughs> our topic this week, uh, it was a one-off. Yeah. And I wanted to ask you if you thought, because for me, I, I th- it was just a one-off sermon called Eat This Book, which is a play on... A book by Eugene Peterson called Eat This Book. Yes. Uh, the idea is that we need to ingest the word of God. It is it is life. Right. And it, it should become part and parcel of our entire personhood. Yes. So we should slowly digest and eat this book page by page, verse by verse, chapter by chapter. That, that's kind of the idea. Right. Did this tie in in any way to your idea of overcoming distraction and depletion and um, the the previous sermon, because it seems to kind of tie yeah. to overcoming distraction. You know, it ties to be silent. It tie it, it it ties to the Bible is a way to get undepleted. The, right. It, it it centers us. It helps us not be distracted. Did you think, or was it just kind of like we need to do this, or did it no, tie? No, in your- that yeah, it definitely tied in. Um, 
as people are listening to this, we will have had our vision and prayer night yeah. on Friday, January 27th. So for those listening right now who were at vision and prayer night, a part of what you heard me say that night was that I would like for us as a community this year to ask the question, what would it look like for me to live a listening life and an invitational life? And specifically to a listening life, listening for the voice of God, leading me, prompting me day by day, moment by moment. Yeah. The last week of A New Resilience, where we talked about silence to listen for the gentle whisper of God and then flowing right in to eat this book. Let's deep dive into scripture and allow God's words to sort of wash over us on a daily basis. They're connected. That's, I think, what it looks like to live a listening life is to open yourself up to the voice of God in prayer and to open yourself up to the voice of God as spoken to us through his word. So, yeah, for sure, like different series, I guess. Yeah. Intricately tied. Yeah. It's interesting as you talk about that. uh, I was just reading um, a series of essays. It's kind of a, a book. Uh, by Andrew Root, yeah, who wrote uh, it's 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 a series called a uh, blank in the secular secular age. Yeah, so ministry in the secular age, uh, evangelism in the secular age, etc. And one of the things he says is like he's actually reflecting on Charles Taylor's work and right. and others, um, Karl Barth, for example. Yeah, <laughs> his um, the idea is that uh, the spirituality of our current age. Uh, it's not that church attendance is declining just or that church is losing numbers. It's that people are being reframed and they're rethinking there's there's no there's no spirituality in our in our secular age. It's like the roof on the on the dome is closing right. and, and and he says that Bible reading is the way to recapture partially the reminder that there's a spiritual realm at all yeah. in a culture that has like zero, emphasis on it and is like forgetting it and is active actively like almost actively hostile toward it right. like you're a fool if you actually believe there's something and so i was reflecting on that thinking if that's true if that's the water we're swimming in we're, we need a lot of reminders that god's even out there and, right. And, or right here or that he's active or that he's moving um so that that was kind of a reminder. It, do you think that the Bible is particularly important right here in the in the Bay Area? Yeah, more I mean, so than perhaps at other times or something. Or or at, I mean, I don't know that I would say. Ways? Yeah, I don't know that I would say more so. I, I or think. in what unique ways is it important? Well, some of the ways you just talked about. We, I mean, one of the first thoughts that comes to mind is we live in, especially here, uh, in Silicon Valley. We live in a culture that places innovation and uh, you know, anything that's cutting edge, anything that sits on the edge of the future, we place those things on pedestals, you know, it's startup culture. Everyone wants to disrupt an industry, you know, Um, invent that or start that next great big unicorn company that's going to disrupt whatever industry and change everything forever. In that sort of culture, it's it's very countercultural and counterintuitive to place an ancient library of 66 ancient books written <laughs> anywhere between, you know, 3500 and 2000 years ago or something. It's like that's crazy. That's a crazy thought. Um and I, but I also think that that's uh, one of the unique ways in which we need it so much, because it's not just an ancient library of ancient books; it's alive and it's active, you know, and it can cut right through us, you know, and and act as a mirror, and sustain us, and feed us, and give us hope and encouragement and guidance, you know, a lamp that lights our path forward, and that's the it's one of the most profoundly beautiful and powerful things about scripture is that, yeah, it's an ancient library of ancient literature, but it's not just that it's alive. You know, it's infused by the spirit of God who spoke these words through human agents. And I think we need in a culture of innovation, we need something deeply historic and rooted and timeless 
that has with, withstood the test of time. And, and transcendent. Mm-hmm, and yeah. transcendent. Yeah, there's something transcendent. Time yeah. and yeah. history as well. And, yeah. and that's what the Bible is. Even if you're not religious, you know, I said this on Sunday, even if you're not religious, even if you don't consider the Bible to be God's divine word spoken for us or anything like that, just based on its literary merits alone, the um, the level of skill and its sort of incredible assessment of human experience and the human condition, that alone, even from a secular perspective, the Bible is necessary reading. It's must reading for, I think, everybody. Yeah. Know? Somebody once said information, um, reading the Bible is getting information about God and getting information about God's getting information about ourselves, our own experience. Yeah. Uh, would you caveat that? Would you say it differently? Well, I don't think that's untrue, and I don't know who said that, but I'm sure that wasn't the only thing they said, um, because the Bible is, you know, obviously more than information. It's it's for transformation, um, but that begins with you know the renewing of our minds, our knowledge, thinking rightly about God and ourselves and the world. So it certainly is that. Um, yeah, I like that thought that it's getting getting information about God is getting information about ourselves. Yeah. The Bible is a sort of mirror, Yeah, you know, or in the teaching on Sunday, I said it's a scalpel. It can cut yeah. through and do surgery, healing yeah. work. You yeah. know, it's intended to do surgery on us. Um, so yeah. yeah, I love that. I think that's totally true. I've heard this, you know, you've heard this too, that the metaphor of the Bible is a mirror, uh, but also the Bible as a window into the historical act of God and also as a portrait, a painting, yeah. a depiction of who God actually is. Um, and that's kind of at different times, you know, when you think about the Bible, is there one of the primary of those metaphors that kind of stands out to you is what you were kind of initially taught about the Bible in your journey? Is it in, with Scripture, with mm-hmm. the Bible? Like how, how was the Bible presented to you when you were growing up? And has your understanding of it kind of changed or shifted? Yeah, gosh. I think when I was growing up, I was mostly taught because of my church tradition, the tradition I came from. I think I was mostly taught simply that the Bible is the perfect, true word of God that teaches us truth, which leads us to eternal life. I think I had... None of that's untrue. That's all yeah, true sure. and accurate. But I think that was the only thing I thought about the Bible growing up. Yeah. And that it was supposed to be, that I was supposed to do quiet times, you know? Yeah. And read sections of Privately. scripture every day. Yeah. Did you do that when you were growing up? Yeah, for stretches. I think I did. Mostly out of guilt or fear. <laughs> yeah. Um, I remember that I came to co- I came to Christ in, in college. Uh, I had some experience, obviously. But I remember the first time I tried to read the Bible in college, I, it was, you might as well have tried to read like Tolstoy in Russian. Like yeah. I could, I couldn't access it. Right. It made, uh, where do I start? Yeah. What are these books? And I was a lit major. <laughs> like I was not, a, I don't think I was a stupid person who was illiterate. I, it like, it felt supernaturally prohibitive. Yeah. It's tough. I needed like, got, and later on I had guides and I was like, oh. Yeah. Oh my gosh. That's and now I think about the Bible Project and how helpful that resource is for for yeah. anyone trying to understand just the narrative structure or how it's put together or what it means. Right. It's I just didn't have those resources. You right. Know? And yep. So helpful. Um, one of the things I want to talk about real quick. Um, I was talking to some of our our leaders in our youth ministry and Ruth, who leads our our college and young adults, and I was I was saying, hey, what kind of attitudes or be, uh, things are you hearing about the Bible when you encounter, when you talk to people about the Bible? What I mean, It's such a broad topic, right? Yeah. The Word of God and its role in our life. And one of the things that kept popping up, and Ruth was mentioned this and some others were, were mentioned this, is that uh, there's for, for some newer Christians or people who are kind of new to the Christian faith, there's a little bit of an elephant in the room. And that is, oh, man, Jesus is awesome. I love this church. And it's doing a lot of neat things. But the Bible is kind of... Uh, well, it's kind of says these homophobic things. It says these racist, oh, right. racist yeah. things. 
Yeah. It says these kind of sexist things, so I, I'm, I'm really uncomfortable. So I'm just kind of kind of pretend and put that over there and live in cognitive dissonance because I really like this Jesus and the way this church talks. It doesn't seem to be yeah. homophobic and racist and right. anti-woman, but I, I know the Bible kind of is, so I, 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 at least I've heard that. I've heard that a lot, so I'm kind of uncomfortable, so I'm going to shuttle that question over here. And that's for somebody who's kind of new in the faith and maybe they haven't read all the Bible. That's just kind of what has been. Or, co- or people who've read the Bible and yeah. have been Christians for a long time, I think have similar tensions. I, I definitely empathize. Yeah. So what, what kind of words do you have for folks who, I, cause that kind of is a cultural narrative that the yeah. Bible is this backwards reductionist kind of book that sets us back as humans right. and um, is is filled with these or has been historically used yeah. to prop up slavery or misogyny or right. uh, tribalism and or whatever it might be. Yeah, I mean, again, the first thing I would say is I totally empathize. You're right. When you read the Bible, um, at face value, it definitely comes across in certain sections. It definitely comes across like all those things. You know, how, why would we ever read a book like this or follow a God like this, you know? I mean, there's no short answer to it. There's plenty of wonderful resources. We did a sure. series here like a year and a half ago or something. How not to how, read the Bible with how, uh, Dan Campbell. How not to read the Bible with, yeah, which is the name, it's the title of one of his books, his most recent book, which came out a couple years ago. So, I mean, as a resource, I would recommend that, but I would also recommend, you know, several others. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, the Bible is not, you mentioned the Bible project earlier, you know, our, our friend Tim Mackey up there, he, he's fond of saying the Bible is not a children's book and yet we've neutered it down to a children's book. And that's not to say we shouldn't teach children the Bible. We absolutely should. But originally not a single word in the Bible was written with the intention that it would be read by eight-year-olds you know um it's actually quite rated r at certain places and moments because it's telling a very honest true story about human experience so i think again there's no easy answer it really a lot of it has to do with what specific tension you're talking about but generally speaking i would say again borrowing from the bible project they say the they you know like the bible is uh, I'm paraphrasing them, but it's one unified story that leads to Jesus. And I think that's a very helpful paradigm, you know, rather than reading the Bible as a bunch of sort of disconnected, incoherent books or letters or poetry or whatever, um, to read it as one sort of magnificent interconnected text. You know, certainly it's a library of many books, but yeah. it is actually telling one story and the hero of that story is Jesus. It's not human beings. It's not human progress or whatever. It's Jesus, you know, son, the son of God who comes and um, models for us what it means to be human in the way God intended uh, for his glory and for the good of, of all of us. So, again, you know, we could have hours and hours worth of discussion. And we have. We do. Here at yeah. Westgate yeah, about yeah. different issues and tensions in the Bible. So I'm sure people have very specific questions. If they do, then reach out to us and we've probably got several resources that might be helpful to you. But I guess that's the the main thing I would say is I empathize. You're right. The Bible is very complex and complicated and sort of hard to read in certain places. But ultimately, when you read it as a story that leads to Jesus, the hero, um, it starts to make sense in a much more beautiful way. Yeah. When I first became a Christian, one of the things that was most transformative is I was part of a a little church in Hawaii that took the Bible really seriously. They studied it. They tried to understand it. They grappled with it. And that community was transformative for me because they studied the Bible. And they had me study the Bible, outlining, trying to understand how's this tie. And I had guides and helpers and mentors who who had done some work, years, sometimes decades worth of work. Yeah interacting, slowly thinking, thinking about the connections, seeing the interconnectedness, seeing the beauty, seeing the consistencies and how the inconsistencies point out even more God's consistency because the humans are so inconsistent. Right. And it has, that was so, so, I'm so grateful 
so to that community because they they imparted in, in just like a year and a half probably 10 15 years worth of study that I would have had to do to get there I mean yeah. they they short they shortcutted me into all those things yeah and I think that the role of the community and those guides of uh, having a community that's like filled with Bible nerds or has some Bible nerds people who are deeply passionate and believe that the word of God is not just transformative but like actually from God himself that that we can study this and there's these that I think that there is that's such a beautiful contagious thing. Yeah. And I just think it'd be really cool if we had a, you know, more Bible nerds. Yeah. <laughs> that's yeah. a great thing. And, and not just for the sake of being Bible nerds, but for the sake of um finding out more about who God is, what he's up to in yeah. our lives and in the world 100%. so that we can be transformed, you yep. know, by by the text. Well, eat this book. Yeah, there it is, and Eat it. Uh, and of course, it's delicious <laughs> and, and nourishing. Uh, not literally, please don't. Or uh, liter, if you want to, I don't know. Is there any nutritional value? Is there anything in sp- paper? In paper, I don't know. If you eat, a lot of people read their Bibles digitally now. So oh, I don't know what you would don't do. Don't eat your Kindle. L- lick your lick, <laughs> lick your, your screen screen. I guess <laughs> it's gross. There's a lot of bacteria on <laughs> yeah. your iPhone screen, Jay. I don't right. think we should tell people to do that. No, don't do that. All right. Well, as as always, every single message, probably, pretty much from here to the end of the year, is probably going to be interacting with some sort of edge of scripture. So yeah. we're trying to eat this book um, the, all year wrong. Yeah, going into compassion immersion, and then back to Matthew. Yep, Matthew there. chapter eight. Woo-hoo. All right. Well, thanks, Jay, and we'll talk to you soon. See ya. Bye. Um, you there? Can you talk? Yeah, I'm here. Okay, I'm cool. here. Can you hear me? Yeah, I Just can. Volume level and things. Working. Everything's perfect. Yep. Hey, everybody. Welcome to The Afterword. I'm Dave Tish. Oh, so excited here. Uh, Stan. I'm here with Stan Markowski. Stan is a buddy of mine from seminary. Stan now works at North Shore Church up in Seattle. Is that right? That's right. Uh, Just north of Seattle. Happy to be here. Thanks for bringing me on. Well, it's interesting. We have have a tie because your lead pastor, Scotty, used to be at Menlo Park and, and kind of went up to Seattle. So there's that Bay Area tie. Yeah, there's also the tie of when I was coming back from Christmas from Southern California, I got stuck in the San Jose airport for eight hours. So, <laughs> you know, that's equal, equal, you know, equal relational connections. There. We also have a tie to Ohio. I'm from Ohio and you yes. spent a, uh, what, now, what was it like a miserable year and a half in Ohio? <laughs> oh, I wouldn't say miserable. I mean, I, I love Ohio. I still go back, but almost two years yeah, as a intern in Toledo, Ohio. Oh, man. So that was that was right after college for you? Yeah, yeah, right after college. Yeah, you um, were just kind of getting your ministry feet wet. Yes, uh, a long story, probably not for this podcast, <laughs> but originally hired to be a junior high, interim junior high pastor. And by the time I got down there, I got bumped down to glorified youth intern that <laughs> they didn't really want, but I was there and I'm like a barnacle. I just attach myself and make it work. There it is. Uh, now, you, which, explain a little bit about your role up at North Shore, which is a fairly big church in the Seattle area, and you're in charge of like group life and discipleship kind of things. Yeah, yeah. So I'm, uh, yeah, I'm my. I think my title is group and uh, care pastor or something like that. I don't remember exactly what it says on the <laughs> website. You can go there and find out for me. Um, but basically, I kind of oversee uh, all of our small groups. Uh, that's kind of one of our main ways that we think about discipleship and community taking place in our church, and then. Occasionally throughout the year, like at Advent or Lent or some other series, we'll create some uh, extra discipleship curriculums, and usually I'm the one heading up those projects. Got it. Well, one of the things, uh, the reason I wanted to have you on it, first of all, I wanted to uh, introduce you to our folks. Second of all, this topic, we're in a sermon series called Eat This Book, and it's it's not really a sermon series, it's a one-off. It's on mm-hmm. the role of Scripture in the believer's life, the primacy of Scripture, the importance of Scripture— and you and I were in seminary together, and that's like one of the things that seminary does is it kind of elevates uh, the Bible in some really robust ways. So I sent you a list of questions. Did any of those, <laughs> those are the talking points, did any of those jump sure. out at you as something that I, you wanted to talk about? Because I I'm want- happy to talk about any of them. Uh, the one that I uh, initially stuck out to me is just because I've also used this framing. Uh, you've got one on here, uh, you know, uh, just kind of the percentages of the Bible. So you've got 46% story or narrative, 30% poetry, 24% letter and discourse. And um, just as a jumping off point, I, I've used that framing too, because I think when you typically think about like 
So what let's just go through those. Of, let's just go through those yeah. again. So 46% of the Bible is listed as a story or a narrative, sometimes historical narrative or whatever it might be. 30% is poetry, a lot of wisdom literature in there, the Psalms. But sometimes in the middle of these larger books, there's poems. Um, mm-hmm. And then 24% is what you might call letter or discourse. Those are the New Testament epistles um, and some other and some other things. So, yeah, yeah. go ahead. So any, I just want to explain that for folks. So go so, ahead. I think when you think about what people believe, people typically think of as like, what's the purpose of the Bible? It's, hey, going to teach you how to pray a certain prayer so you go to heaven, or that you know some uh, correct answers on the theology quiz, or that some clear, like, hey, this is how to live your life. And if the Bible does is trying to do any of those three things, it is wildly inefficient at accomplishing either of those three things, you know, like my, for, you know, the pray the prayer thing. I mean, we've all seen, you know, the fake, you know, Oh, I found a hundred dollars. Oh no. A track to tell me how to go to heaven. Great. But exactly what I needed as a server, you know, <laughs> stuff like that. Or, you know, if it's just a, uh, Hey, no, the right theology, like, well, the apostles creed is way more efficient at teaching theology and that's, you know, quarter page, you don't need right. uh, my Bible. It's like 600 pages. And then, the classic example I always give is, um, you know, if, it, if it's supposed to help you with your life, uh, you know, you have a, a sermon you're giving, you ask people to raise their hand. Hey, how many of you have ever thought you'd like to be in a relationship and get married at some point? You know, 99% of the hands go up. Okay. And then you go, okay, hands down. Uh, how many of you have ever thought I would really like to boil a baby goat in its mother's <laughs> milk and zero hands go up and you go, okay, well, uh, I'm just gonna let you know the mechanics to finding a spouse a, a basically universal experience that we all want. Uh, zero instructions. Like there are, there are no instructions. <laughs> There's in the nothing in the Bible to, about that yeah, at no, all. No best practices. Multiple times the goat <laughs> thing comes up. Like, so in terms of just like, what is this trying to teach me? Right. Uh, right. Right. Just not, not very efficient at the presuppositions that we are bringing to it. And so uh-huh. you don't have to ask, well, what is it trying to teach us? And you know, if you're going about it and it's more story and narrative and poetry and like the internal uh, part of God, essentially, like these things are all communicating what kind of person we're in relationship with. Well, if that's what it's actually trying to communicate, it's much better at uh, doing that and then shaping a people to be formed around those ideas than it is kind of the general like cut to the chase. Tell me what this thing is going to do. Yeah. Uh, do you find that um, just in your ministry, uh, in your context, and you've worked in SoCal, you were at churches in Southern California and Costa Mesa and, um, and some other areas. Uh, now you're in Seattle. Are there, yeah. are there misconceptions or misunderstandings about the Bible that you have to you know, try to help iron out of people? Yeah, I mean, well, so I think when you go into uh, regionalism, you get a certain set of misconceptions that get highlighted you know when i I, we both worked in ohio when you're working in ohio you you almost have um the inoculation effect of everyone thinks they know the bible Uh, i've heard all these stories a million times i i know what it means to be a christian you know i don't you were in dayton right oh yeah dayton area Mm -hmm. yeah so like so i I assume it would be similar but like in ohio you know every youth group in the city in toledo is on Wednesday night. So schools don't even bother doing things for tests and stuff on Thursdays because they're just not going to compete with the church culture. They just know every kid's going to go to youth group and we're just going to avoid fighting that obstacle. Not the case in the Bay Area. Not the case in the Bay Area. (laughs) Not the case in Southern California. Right, right. But, you know, that kind of Christian culture creates a certain set of biases in people. In Southern California, you know, it probably depends on the circles that you operated, but just I wouldn't say you run into necessarily hostility, but much more common to run into people who are um, uh, unfamiliar with the Bible. And so sometimes that's good. They're bringing in like a neutrality and you have to, you know, oh, they have an open mind about it. But other times like you don't, you know, if you think, hey, a real formative, uh, uh, foundational concept in the Bible is sin and grace and things like that. Well, those are not common words to the average person. So you have to really build that kind of stuff up. Seattle, I mean, we've all... Uh, I don't know your people, but most Christians have listened to the Mars Hill podcast. Like that's epicenter right here. We deal with that kind of stuff a lot. And so meaning the pain from have, former mega churches yeah. kind of fall out of Christian culture. Yeah. Yeah. We have multiple uh, 
just large churches that have imploded around, uh, unfortunately, the character of the leadership involved. And I mean, that's a whole not my place to unpack per se, but, you know, it's much more common for you either to have like a, a category of person who's like very post-Christian, anti-Christian, because they've just always felt that way, or someone who experienced pain in a church and is now very anti-church because of that, or, um, yeah, just misconceptions that have been created around those kind of cultural points. And it's just in Seattle, because there are, it was an epicenter for a major fallout with Mars Hill. Yeah. Well, that's interesting. Uh, the, they use the word people in culture. They use the word deconstructing. Is that a word mm-hmm. that you use? Um, and then how do you help? How does the Bible help? Or I, I maybe it doesn't. I I mean I'm I'm assuming in some way that there's a relational need first um, before you can even talk about what the Bible says to address that kind of pain and the disillusionment and the when you're part of a religious community that goes toxic that brings out all sorts of painful stuff. So like what what how do you how do you process that? Yeah, I mean, I think, yeah, deconstruction is very common. I think when you talk to, hey, let's say most people under 40, like, it's common for them to associate with that word. Like, that's a, a word that they feel comfortable with. Yeah. Um, I think deconstruction as a concept, you know, there's, if you're just deconstructing for the sake of deconstruction, then it probably, that's like the most accurate term for that. But a lot of deconstruction is actually a goal of reconstructing. You yeah. Know, oh, okay. These I got to get rid I, of this so that I can retain what I know is true. Yeah. 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 Or I I thought that the Bible said this now that I've explored more and learned more. And I'm realizing like, oh, it actually was not as simple as that. Or it says this instead, or it's pushing me deeper into this. I mean, I don't know uh-huh. how controversial this podcast is, but you know, when <laughs> my, uh, my, you, my, yeah, 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 the I'm not very controversial. Out. I'm going to be honest. <laughs> well, with you. <laughs> you know, so maybe I'll just uh, dip my toe into controversy, but you know, when you look at 2020 and race and justice issues that came up and were highlighted there, one of the positive outcomes of that was a lot of churches and Christians now going, Oh, what does the Bible realize. say about justice? Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. And that is a form of deconstruction. Yes. You know, your your way of looking at it before is no longer valid, and now you're going to reconstruct a different way. Um, using the so, Bible, though, using the Bible. It's not yeah, just like yeah. personal preference. This resulted in a lot. So in what way does the Bible help? Um, could, how, how have you seen? Because 2020 was, there was a lot to take in, and I think the assumptions sure. that people coasted on, people began saying, well, how can we have a society? How can I be a person who can navigate through these issues of of whether it's race or politics or um, economic collapse or economic uncertainty or what to do with my life. There was a lot of people who left the workforce. Is my life really about that? There's all sorts of big questions that the pandemic in the last couple of years have brought up. How have you seen the Bible help people put their lives back together and, and in, in a sense, uh, be authoritative in that? Yeah, I think, so the two things for me are, really going to be about how the Bible is ultimately anchored in Jesus, not the other way around, or and Jesus ultimately anchors the Bible for us. And then just the the more I understand it, the more I find, oh, the Bible is actually what my heart is longing for. It's it's being talked about here. You know, and so in the first point, like I think sometimes Christians kind of go at it the backwards way where um I'm buying all of this uh, and then that gets me to Jesus. But if you go, hey, Jesus is my anchor point, and he's the ultimate revelation of what God is about, and all of this is pointing towards him, then I'm going to anchor there and be in process about all these other things. And and because I'm I'm committed to this because of Jesus, I didn't build a house of cards of like, you know, the earth has to be, you know, 4,000 years old, and the flood has to be this much water, and you know, all these different things that you have to hold together and you're getting con- kind of conflicting accounts or whatever, um, or conflicting ideas that maybe take those down and, and you're trying to keep the house of cards built. But if you're going, well, I'm in, I'm in this because of Jesus and he trusted this book and maybe I just need to keep exploring and understanding. And that kind of brought me to the second point, which was really a lot of times, the more you've come to understand the Bible, like when you give it honest, like I've engaged with the scholarship, I have explored different topics, I've really brought the best ideas to the table, you often find that it's not as um, uh, it's often more satisfactory than what you thought it would be. And I think that was one of the things that was like the outcome of seminary for most of us was just like, okay, these people are debating this perspective versus this perspective. And then, you know, 
Gary introduces you to somebody else who's got a completely different idea and go, actually, that question isn't really what the Bible's about. You can go, oh, well, I feel much more comfortable now. <laughs> I feel much more like just content in what it is actually talking about. And and what it is talking about, you're saying, is the, it's at the core of what it means to be human and therefore deeply satisfying and begins to touch at the most important things, not the tangential things that you thought might have been important. Yeah, or and and maybe those questions are still there, but you just go, I have to be okay with the Bible not answering this. You know, I think one of the the revelations for uh, for me in seminary was, you know, I had been my earlier church exposures were about debating is God foreordaining people to go to hell or not. You know, a classic you know uh, uh, election debate, and then you get to learn from Gary and you go, actually, election is about you know blessing and serving others, and that whole foreordaining and uh, how much is God in control of your individual debate? Should I have a sandwich today or a burrito? You know, that kind of stuff. Like, and the I mean, answer, the answer Stan, is always a burrito, I think. Well, <laughs> in California, yes, always a burrito. In the Northwest, the oh, burrito yeah, situation maybe, is maybe, very disappointing. Yeah, maybe uh, yes. not so much. Yes, uh, we all long for truer and better burritos than where we are. <laughs> but, um, yeah, so those are still questions to ask because the um, – you know, we talk about a sovereign God and things like that, but just the way we're asking them and the tools we're using to ask them are often just, that's not really what the Bible's answering. And you have to kind of live in some ambiguity with it, but to know, oh, what we're actually talking about is why did God choose some people over others? It's to go bless and serve others. Well, I'm glad that I'm with a God who's, that's ultimately his goals for people. It kind of reframes the situation. Now, what role yeah, does, just, yeah, what role does, uh, does having guides because, you know, we're Protestant, and so there's the sola sure. scriptura. There's the idea of the the kind of isolated Christian reading their Bible alone in the morning, which actually is kind of a foreign idea to the, for certainly the Jewish reading. Um, yeah. That's, well, the, and certainly to the first, what, 1,500 years of church, people right. couldn't read. <laughs> well, sure. So, <laughs> so how do we get, concept. how do we get Bible in ourselves? How do we, how do we eat this book? How do we let it become part of us? In our modern culture, like what are the ways that has been really effective for you or the churches you've been a part of in really getting this book into the DNA of us? How do we eat this book, ingest it, uh, really live with it? Yeah, I think there is a difference between, um, let's say, spiritual formation style reading, you know, the, the devotional aspect of it and the more... Um, knowledge intake sort of reading, which is going to also kind of undergird some of that formational reading, you know, like, I don't, I don't know, you, some people think it's great to just open up to a random page and, and ask, what does this mean for me? And and there's, sometimes God speaks that way. I think the Holy Spirit can work that way. And then other times you go, well, you know, you probably should bring some actual tools. Not every passage is about you, you know, <laughs> you should, you should do some learning. But I think uh, a really helpful framework on the spiritual formation stuff for me was a guy named, uh, Robert Mulholland, uh, oh, yeah. invitation to a journey. Yeah, you know, and you know his framework is different personality types bring different spiritual needs. You know, somebody's going to get a lot out of praying for an hour, and another person's get a lot out of reading for an hour, and you have to kind of find within your personality type your balance for wholeness because you need both. You need prayer and reading, but just different personalities are going to need different amounts. And when you're reading for just that goal of how do I love God more? How do I understand Jesus more? How do I um, how do I implement what it means to be Christ-like into my world that God's placed me in? There's there's probably a lot more room for um, kind of some looseness in terms of uh, in terms of what did I get out of this? You know, like it doesn't have to always be like perfectly interpreted. God can still work. You know, I've I've been in sermons where what the guy said on stage not super accurate to what the passage was about, and yet very actually meaningful for what I was going through that day. And I, maybe I'm sure people will disagree with that. People disagree with everything, but I'm, I'm much more comfortable with that sort of thing to go into my devotions with a, a less of a threshold of it's entirely accurate. But at the same time, I think part of what you can do to know that you're not getting off track is to have other times in your life where you're going, Hey, let me make sure that I'm filling my mind with tools and, uh, and, um, just other things, other people's perspective, commentaries, you know, interesting books, et cetera, that can help me make sure that I am staying on track with my devotional reading still. Um, and I think one helpful tool in that is like reading 
reading books with people who are opposite of your demographic. Um, so there's like a, a, a series of books called, uh, well, the, the author is uh, Randolph Richards. He's written one book called Misreading Scripture with Western Eyes. He's oh, yeah, yeah. Another one that is reading with individualist eyes. There's a cross-cultural one as well. Esau Macaulay's got a book right. called Reading, uh, reading While Black. Black. Yeah. You know, and, you know, that is your opportunity to get a, um, uh, you know, if we're all the body of Christ and, you know, you need multiple hands and multiple feet, and multiple eyes, whatever, this is a way of getting another hand in your perspective. And you go, oh, I didn't realize the Bible Someone else is illuminating a nuance for me that I wouldn't see from my uh, my location, but from their location, they're seeing that. And now I can take that into my reading. And eventually it does, you know, that kind of learning because becomes subconscious in you and you don't have to like sit down and go, well, what did Esau think? You can just go, well, I kind of know what, like, uh, I remember one of my favorite professors who was a C.S. Lewis professor said, yeah. Uh, he is, his brain is the pickle in C.S. Lewis's brine. And just like, he just read so much C.S. Lewis, he could always kind of know this is what C.S. Lewis would think about a topic. And that's kind of what we're trying to do is you're trying to marinate yourself in other people's perspectives that you know are, who love Jesus and who are, uh, want you to love him more. But that Misreading Scripture with Western Eyes book was a real game changer for me. And it more had to do with just asking the questions about um, that book is not trying to say West is wrong and East is right, but it is trying to say you bring certain presuppositions as a Western person that Eastern, Eastern people, people do not have, yeah. do not. Right. And all of your biblical authors have an Eastern perspective. So what does that mean for you? And how does that mean, you know, what, uh, how does that mean? What does that mean for you when you're reading the Bible? So a real basic one, Western cultures are more individualistic, right? Eastern cultures are more communal. Yeah. And so what does that mean when all of your scripture scriptural authors are bringing a communal perspective into what they're writing about? What does what does that mean for you? Another one that was really helpful um, that kind of really helped me understand maybe things that people would point to as contradictions in scripture is uh, Western people think of rules and regulations and perspectives as you have to kind of make a one size fits all synthesis of this is what the Bible says. And Eastern people think of it more as people are a pendulum and you get out of sync and you need something to push you back towards the center, what, what is right, a center point. Yeah. So you'll have these examples where in Paul, he'll say, I, you know, I beat my body into submission. I train really hard. I work really hard at being a Christian and you go, okay. And then he'll say, grace abounds. Chill out, man. <laughs> That's not really what he says, but you know, stuff like right, that, right, where it right. just seems like, relax, like, well, which one is it? Are we supposed yeah, to and those like, feel, be, yeah. those feel contradictory, but for an Eastern person, they go, well, in this case, he's writing to one person who's out of sync this way. And he's got to push him back to, Hey, you're, you're overburdening yourself with what the Christian life is supposed to be Relax." And to this other person, he's going, actually, you need to try a little bit harder. Like you're not taking this as seriously as you should. And then when you start to realize that you go, Oh, well, maybe these authors are trying to push me back more towards a center than I have to go about line up all the verses and synthesize something for myself. You know, it just it just changes how you read. And that that was really probably the first step for. Yeah, for we, that. The, yeah the Western mind wants like a, a quick, easy diagnostic for everybody and pass. And Paul's being very pastoral, like a coach, like, hey, listen, point guard, if you don't rebound, we're going to lose. And a guy in the post, you got to be more aggressive. But this other guy, hey, you got to back off because if you're if you get another technical foul, you're out of the game. There's a yeah. sense of pastoral coaching in 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 Paul's letters. Um, yeah, that can kind of alleviate some of the tensions. Yeah, yeah, and that and that's true for probably all of the Bible. It strikes me you were talking no, no. about like the devotional side of it. Uh, we talk about sometimes uh, uh, we talk about like three ways to look at the. Uh, the Bible or look at scripture. One of them is like a mirror. It, you kind of focus on what the Bible reveals in me. Like the, the idea is the Bible reads me, but that's not the only thing that scripture is. It's also a window into what God's done and a picture of God, who God is. So you're saying that like the devotional edge is, is really important. And that's, Hey, that's personal. That's like deeply Holy spirit. But on the other side, there's also a historical kind of big narrative that, guides in history and other voices can really help you focus, but that both are important. You got to know the big history, the big story, and that takes a lot of study and culture and conflict, uh, context. 
And then there's the mirror, which is the devotional side. You're saying that if you read it for one or the other, you'll you'll miss the <laughs> benefits of both kind of thing. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, yeah. And really, in a lot of ways, you have to maintain a humility yeah. in it that um, you can always be reshaped. Like, you can... I think sometimes God just meets us where we're at, like where I can look back on being in high school and not really knowing the Bible at all. You know, I hadn't read it at that point until I, you know, I think I read the Bible for the first time, like my senior year of high school and or started reading it on a regular basis, I should say. And then, but I hadn't read the whole storyline or anything. I just knew what you learned in youth group. And I can look back on like my old Bibles where like I made notes and like Jeremiah 29, 11, God knows the plans for me. And, you <laughs> He's know, got all, good all plans for me. It's going to be okay, right. but you ignore the the general but, context. Yeah, you, right? you ignore the larger context, yeah. and yet I can look back on those seasons and see, oh, okay, God was kind of meeting me where I was at in that exact season to move me forward and shape me and parent me and all these different things in that moment. And yet, now as a you know guy in his mid thirties with a seminary degree and stuff like that, I can read Jeremiah twenty nine eleven or whatever cliche verse and go, oh, this actually has a different meaning. And now I have to ask myself, how do I reshape? How do I reshape this to, uh, or rethink about this to go? Well, what what does it mean for me now with what I actually know it's supposed to be about? And there's just a level of like, I think when you're a child, you know, especially or you know, child in the metaphorical sense in your faith, like God is much more willing to meet you where you're at. And then as you grow, there's the shift of responsibility starts to be a little bit more on you to go, okay, now I need to be more responsible with this. Oh, that's but good. But at the same time, God is gracious with us and. You know, different yeah. things speak to different people in different seasons. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, that's really great. Well, Stan, thanks for taking time to kind of walk through some of this stuff. And there's a whole bunch more that we didn't even get to talk sure, about. Sure, yeah. But, um, well, I'm happy to, you know, whatever you need, uh, well, come thanks. back on. Yeah, and uh, thanks for thanks for jumping on and uh, super appreciate your perspectives. Again, very similar to uh, your culture is kind of very similar. It's Pacific Northwest and kind of West coast. And so your culture similar, I mean, obviously different. You guys, for example, yeah. had snow, well, you had snow and ice yeah. and you did not have that in Southern California. No, we did not have that in Southern California. The difference between this and Ohio snow is in Ohio, they know how to clear it and you just live your life. And in Seattle, we just give up and go, well, I guess this is the end for all of us. We'll wait till it melts. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, I'm glad you thought out at least a little bit. Yeah. Oh, man. Well, th dude, thanks for coming on. Blessings to you and your ministry and your church up there. And uh, uh, thanks for all your insights. Yeah, man. Great to see you. All right. Just want to say thanks to Jay Kim and my buddy Stan Markowski for joining us on The Afterward. Join us next week when we're going to be diving into three weeks uh, of a series we're calling Compassion Immersion, where we're going to be looking at the global and local impact of the kingdom of God, of the stuff that's going on outside the walls of our church. Very exciting, very exciting stuff. You're going to hear tons of stories, incredible stories of God's movement. So join us for that next week, and we will see you then.